Hey guys, this is Calvin Williams and this is the Improver Technologies Podcast. And I got a specially special guest. This is the guy that brought me into the world of podcasting. So the universe has finally paid his dues and I'm having Robert Kalvaroski on the show today. So Robert, welcome to the show. I appreciate you appreciate you joining me today. No, I appreciate you having on and also like for people listening, you know, I appreciate you coming on my podcast twice already. That next one will be coming out soon. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, man, whenever you need me on the show, I'm here for you. You know, I, I'm willing to take one for the team. I'm willing to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it. So, Rob, I'll give you a chance to introduce yourself a little more, but just a couple of things. Uh, Rob, has he's been doing the, the reliability project for some time now, probably close to a year now. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's an established reliability engineer. So all things reliability, Rob is your guy, right? So... And there, there's some overlap between reliability and continuous improvement. A lot of folks use continuous improvement to drive reliability. Uh, some use it to do other things. But yeah, I would definitely say that uh, we're 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 two peas of a similar pod. Would you say that? Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, like a few of the things that I've seen that you've put out, like root cause analysis uh, stuff about predictive maintenance. That is some of the core stuff that we do as reliability engineers. Yep. But not only that is just the mindset, right? Like having a reliability mindset or having a continuous improvement mindset, it's the same thing. Very much so, right. You're really trying to trying to get people to see outside of what they see in front of them and, and realize that you can do better. You can get better results if you're willing to change and grow and and uh, build your capability and that kind of thing. So absolutely. So Rob has actually done a lot of stuff. I'm really curious about how you started out, right? So I, I, as I look at your profile, you, one of your first uh, when your first jobs was as an economist. How did how did you go from economist uh, coming out of MIT, I think, right? MIT? Yes, sir. Coming out of MIT, going to become an economist and then getting into reliability. So tell me a little bit about that story and how it, how it started to uh, unfold. <laughs> yeah. So actually both my parents are economists. Um, they're retired now, but both my dad worked at the government of Canada for his whole career as an economist wow. through many, you know, many different departments. But the economist game, like because of my parents, like I, I have a good understanding, a good feel for economics as kind of a, just part of the way I was. And also at MIT, I took a minor in management with a focus in economics. So it was kind of part of what I was doing anyways. Mm. And I got uh, an internship through through actually my mom. One of her previous bosses hired me to work at his, you know, as an internship doing financial modeling in e economics. And so mm. that was kind of where I, once I graduated, that's what I started doing. Is that right? Wow. So how did you how did how did you make the transition in from from economics into reliability? I mean, I'm trying to draw the connection between the two disciplines, but uh, I think maybe you can you can help me understand that a little better. <laughs> well, so so like when I was at MIT, like I have a mechanical engineering degree, right? So I've always kind of well since you know I've I've kind of figured that I needed to get into engineering mm. after you know like economics. There's not uh, too much of a growth as an engineer, like you would need to get a master's or maybe a PhD to kind of right. push your career forward. Right. So right, right. I got hired at tech resources. Like one of, um, it's one of the biggest 
metallurgical coal exporter miners in the world. And they hired me as a reliability engineer. And one of the things that there's actually a tie in, right? So I was doing a lot of financial modeling and a lot of what we do, I assume you do as well as continuous improvement, but we have to look at a project and we have to kind of value what the benefit is of doing this project. Right. Cost benefit analysis. And and that is like, that was right in my wheelhouse. So we started doing like work like that at tech, you know, valuing potential projects that we would do. Plus, you know, once we executed them, what benefits are we getting? And then that's kind of where I started my career as a reliability guy. Oh, okay. All right. Now it makes sense. <laughs> I can see that. I can definitely see that now. Okay, good. So that's, that's pretty cool. So, so yeah, that, that's sort of, that's sort of translated. So what, what are you doing now? Like what, are, what, what kind of projects are you working on now? What, what, what kind of things are you learning from? Yeah. So actually just, uh, I believe a couple of days ago, I got laid off from my job at Fluid Life. Um, oh, sorry to hear that. No, I mean, it's, you know, like I, I'm really optimistic going forward because of, yeah. you know, like, like you're doing it yourself, right? So there's a lot of opportunity right now when you're producing content and you're building up kind of a network. Like even if you haven't met the people, you still have a network. You do. That's absolutely true. And so I'm not I'm not too worried about it right now. So that's why, you know, I've you've even seen over the last few days, I've kind of upped my content production because I have more time now. <laughs> okay, good. So are you uh are you thinking of building a company now about around reliability or what what do you have in mind? Like what's your What's your strategy for content creation and you know your your next career move? Kind of exploring all options. Content creation will still stay roughly the same, being one podcast a week, seven daily audio tips, seven daily pictures slash quotes, yep. and then videos at least once a week. I will be doing a video too. Very cool. So I'm gonna just throw a plug, man, Rob. If you if you scour LinkedIn, if you scour the interwebs, <laughs> Rob is putting out some of the best content around reliability that you'll find. So, uh, if you haven't already checked out uh, Rob's reliability project on LinkedIn, are you are you on Facebook too? Is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah, on LinkedIn and Facebook, I would highly encourage you to do so. Uh, I'm sure you get a ton of value from the stuff he puts out. And yeah, you you book you book some pretty good talent on your podcast too, right? I mean, you get people from you know, various uh, points of view when it comes to reliability. And of course, like you said, I've been on your show a couple of times and you got Lucas Marino and uh, Robert Latino and a few other really talented people. So how, how is it that you're able to build such a network and, and really generate some such good content? Well, I mean, like the reliability world is pretty small, I think. And then also people tend to be really nice and really great to each other. And so when I reach out to people, and say like, hey, you know, I'm doing this podcast. Would you like to share your expertise with us? You know, most people say yes. Even when I was just starting off and I had, you know, 20 to 40 followers, like I had Nancy Regan on, I had Ricky Smith on, and these people are well known and written books and reliability. And it's like, I didn't even have a following at that point. So now once I'm reaching out to people, like the most of them have heard of me at this point. So you've placed yourself amongst the stars by by taking that strategy, huh? Well, I, I wouldn't go that far, but at least at least I have some <laughs> ideas. <laughs> yeah, very good. So yeah, it's good stuff. So that's that's pretty cool. So now you're getting more into video production as well, a little bit, maybe dabbling a little bit. 
And I've seen some of your videos and yeah, I really like what I see. So I'm looking forward to more content like that. So good stuff. So what's your, what's your next move? I mean, what are you, what are you excited about for the future? I mean, for me, the, the future, like what I'm excited about, like there's a couple things. One is, is, you know, what am I going to do next? Like, like that's kind of where my headspace is at, at least probably for the next couple of weeks is kind of exploring different options, seeing what interests me and, and kind of figuring that out in terms of what's next is, is like, or what I'm excited about really is I'm so bullish on artificial intelligence as a technology. And Interesting. I, I just think like, I think there's a few things that people don't do right with it, but I, I think that there's so much opportunity there that I, I'm just really excited about, like starting to work with it more than I have in the past. Like I, I did a little bit of machine learning, but now I'm really looking at kind of expanding that out. I've been talking to my friend about using natural language processing to kind of digest work orders and kind of pull information out of those. So those are kind of the things that I'm going on with. Really? Okay. So yeah, that's, that's an interesting topic. I mean, uh, what are some of the applications that you foresee? I know a lot of people define artificial intelligence in various ways. When it comes to reliability, what do you, what are some of the applications that you think will be big or, you know, big opportunities for the future? So right now, people there it's starting to break into reliability and what it's breaking in on is on the predictive maintenance side so people are using you know online sensors whatever those are like either vibration um electrical sensors just your like regular pi data and they're starting to use that to diagnose failures mm. those are great solutions like they work what i was using it or what kind of i not really using it, but I trialed or project it was looking at oil analysis data to detect essentially failures, but really to detect samples that I would want a human to look at. Interesting. So what do you, what do you, what kind of information do you glean from oil analysis? So oil analysis, uh, there's really two things that you, you look for. Uh, the way I explain it to most people is it's like you go to a doctor and you get a blood test. So oil, oil is like blood for a machine is one way to say it. Huh? Yeah, kind of, right? And, and the two things you're looking at is the first thing is, is the blood or the oil itself good? And then the second thing you're looking at is like what else is in the oil that would indicate something is wrong with the equipment or something's wrong with... You mean like contamination? Yeah, absolutely. Contamination, okay. Contamination, wear metals even stuff like your process, dirt, dust, those kind of things. Do you often find that people are using the wrong oil? I know that was sort of a big problem we discovered when we started going into uh, some TPM activities, preventative maintenance. To be honest, not really. Most most people, the way they select an oil is they just look at their OEM spec sheet and they'll just pick whatever it says. Or it says, hey, you need an ISO 46 hydraulic oil they'll go to their supplier and they'll say, give me one of these and the supplier will give them one of those. So so back on the topic of artificial intelligence, this is something that's also near and dear to my heart because I'm toying with some applications of AI in the continuous improvement space, specifically in the automatically coaching people to increase productivity and, and, and performance improvement. When it comes to AI and, and, and machine learning, would you say AI and machine learning overlap or are they, are they mutually exclusive from, from the work you've done? No. So 
So Adam McElhaney from Uptake did a podcast for me and he, the way he broke it down was machine learning is a subset of AI. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Can, can you elaborate a little bit on, on machine learning and exactly what, you know, how do we, how do we categorize that discipline? Yeah. So machine learning is most of the, as far as I know, I'm not an expert, but okay. it's most of the modeling that you'll be able to do right now. So, well, at least on numbers. So essentially what happens is you take data, you feed it into your computer, and then it will crunch through and try to find kind of the most accurate model for you. Model, now what, what kind of information are you trying to get? And, and how, would, how might you use that information to, to improve performance? Yeah, so that's, that is the nuts and bolts of the question, right? Yeah. So the answer to that is, is, and this is one of the things that I think that people do wrong, at least in the reliability space, is we have kind of two different sides of people that I see that are coming in. Okay. So the vendors that are trying to sell artificial intelligence services, some of them are data science people. Okay. And they come in and they say, don't worry about it. Give me all the data that you have and I'll tell you what's going on. Right, right. They're going to interpret the data and transform it into a story for, for you. Yeah. And to me, that's the wrong approach. Okay. Interesting. Because, well, so I don't know. I, I talked to, you know, I talked to a few people about this, but ha have you heard of the website Spurious Correlations? I have not, but I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So definitely if you're listening, check that one out. It's really cool. So essentially what this guy does is he runs correlation analysis between random data across the world. Interesting. Okay. And one of the conferences I did, I pulled, um, I pulled a graph from his website and it was the correlation between margarine consumption in the United States and the divorce rate in Maine. Really? What? <laughs> margarine, like butter, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so it's like it, they've been correlated for the last seven or eight years. It was like a, a fairly long time. And one, You got to be kidding me. Yeah. And one of the things is, is like artificial intelligence, like to you and me, we, we might not know much about anything, but we understand that it doesn't make, like if, if I go out tomorrow and I buy, you know, a jug of margarine, it doesn't mean I'm more likely to get divorced. Right, right. So that same, that same thought process, like an artificial intelligence, like if we ran a model on those, it would come out and say, based on if, if we know how much margarine the grocery store sold, then we're going to be able to predict how many divorce rates there are. Yes, as if as if one is causing the other or something like that. It's assuming causality, right? Correct. Yeah. And, and the big thing I'm saying is like, what, what you want to do with artificial intelligence is you want to do it like every other project you've ever done in your life. Start off with what question are you trying to answer or what goal do you have? Right. There you go. Define where you're trying to go. And then based on you or your knowledge, and, it, and then maybe you don't have the knowledge, so then get a, you're one of your subject matter experts, ask them what data makes sense to include in my analysis. There you go. It takes a little more context than AI probably has visibility to. Absolutely. Like one of the things I saw was when I was running it on my oil analysis samples was it said the more coolant in the oil, the better the oil is. The more coolant the better. 
Better meaning last longer or? Meaning the, the oil condition is better because there's more coolant in it. Okay. Does that make sense to you? No, the inverse is actually true. You don't want any coolant in your oil at all. Is that right? <laughs> That's what my instinct was telling me, but <laughs> I'm not an oil expert. So yeah, that did sound a little strange. So yeah, I guess it, it get, AI doesn't always know what's causing what, I guess in that, in that sense, right? It's, it's not, it doesn't know what's causing what. It, it has no sense of causality. It also has no sense of logic. So you have to be very careful when you're running it that, that you only include stuff that would make sense to be included. Things that are have some degree of relationship. Absolutely. And and always have a goal in mind because if you just randomly run data like correlations, like you'll find wacky stuff that doesn't really make sense. I'm going back to the, the margarine thing in, in, Maine, in divorce rate in Maine, right? I'm, I'm just thinking like, you know, my wife does most of the cooking. So I would probably consume more margarine if I was married to her. <laughs> so if I got divorced, my margarine consumption probably would go down. I don't know. I would imagine. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe maybe if she's buying more margarine and not using butter, then you got to get a divorce. Oh, oh, there. <laughs> Dang. Or or could it be that the fast food restaurants tend to use more margarine? And when I'm if I was divorced, I would eat more McDonald's, and therefore margarine consumption would go up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there is some twisted relationship, but a seven year long correlative relationship does seem uh, a bit more than a coincidence. I don't know. Just thinking out loud. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So that's 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 really interesting. So I'm also curious to to get your uh, point of view on the industrial Internet of Things, IIoT. I've seen, you know, downtime tracking systems that implement one or two sensors on the line and they just track downtime at the bottleneck process. I've seen systems that try to install five sensors on every machine, kind of go a little crazy on that. And then you got a situation where you're having to maintain the systems that that help you maintain the systems. And it could be um, a little bit of a circular maintenance loop in that regard. But what do you, you seem to be some of the best practices in number one, data collection using sensors and that type of technology? And number two, just really connecting manufacturers to suppliers, customers, you know, other plants, just really connecting the world uh, when it comes to uh, machine information. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm extremely bullish on the technology and kind of, again, I just keep the, like this people who've had success and the people who haven't success, the big divider to me again is the, is the definition of a project and really the implementation. Mm. So like definition meaning being clear on what you're trying to achieve, staffing resources and that kind of thing, like a charter. Yes, sir. And, and like having an idea and a goal in mind, because like what what, you, what I see out there every once in a while is you'll go to a site and they're like, we're, we're doing this. And they've bought like a thousand sensors. Right, right. And no one looks at the data. They don't have a process to look at the data. They don't have a process. Like, let's say some guy looked at, like uh, some engineer looked at the data and he was like, well, we should do this. Well, there's no process for him to actually turn that thought into an action. Yeah, that's a big gap. It, actually, that's exactly where Improver plays too, is trying to turn all the data that you might be taking in into meaningful action, playing in that middle ground space. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a like everyone, I think, talks about that. 
But at the nuts and bolts of it, as much as we talk about AI and the IIoT, we're still in a people business. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's like, you know, aligning people to a vision and getting the buy-in and doing the culture work. That's really the key to success, in my opinion. Yeah. And getting people to go beyond the bare minimum, right? Because you could, you could probably keep your job just by going into work and, and, and hitting production schedule every day. But that's not necessarily going to prepare you. That, that's going to pay the bills today, but it's not necessarily going to prepare you to be successful in the future. Because there's another company across town who they're not only going to hit schedule, but they're going to actually put in work to transform the company to be a better fit for the customer. Right. And they're listening to the customer and understanding that the customer does want something that's, you know, 10, 15, 20 degrees different from what they're getting. And, and, and customer loyalty as a whole is probably declining because there's more access to the markets and, the, and suppliers. So, yeah, that's a key piece is, is, you know, being clear on what you want to be, where you want to go and being willing to do the work to close the gap. And like you say, all the data in the world doesn't necessarily uh, do that for you. You got to be, you got to, it takes leadership on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. And like the one thing I would say, like if anyone's listening and they're like, Hey, you know, I really want to get into the IOT game. What I would say to them is start small pick, like, let's say you have five pumps running, you know, your production line or, or, you know, pick four or five assets or maybe one critical asset and, start there, start with the sensors on there and really work your way around it. Like it's going to, it's going to sound crazy because you're going to put a lot of investment to do like something small on one piece of equipment. And it's going to feel like you're, you know, shooting fish in a barrel with a, you know, like a RPG or like a huge bomb, but like start with kind of an overkill method get the success out of it. And then you have the processes and systems in place where once you scale, it's going to be a lot easier for you. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point because technology just speeds up what you're already doing. So you got to be doing the right things first. What role do you see suppliers, you know, how are, how are manufacturers from a reliability standpoint, tying suppliers into their performance improvement uh, agendas using, using IIoT in specific? Well, I mean, the suppliers typically are the ones that are coming up with the technology. I've only heard of two companies that have decided to go, I guess maybe three, a few companies that have gone themselves to kind of develop their own AI platform in-house. I'm not hugely bullish on that way of doing it. And kind of the reason for that is it comes back to, to economics. Like, what are you good at? What is your core competency as a company? Right. And, you know, if you're a mining company, right. your core competency really should be, you know, exploration, removal of the rock, processing the rock, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Sticks to your core operation. Yeah. And like getting into AI, like I used to work in mining and the IT systems were terrible. Hmm. And so how are you expecting to develop AI? Like to me, it's like if I wasn't, let's say I'm a data scientist, like really good at AI, would I want to go work for a mining company or would I want to go work in Silicon Valley or at Uptake? Exactly. Right. Well, you have some upward mobility and a whole career right there within your discipline. So that's that's interesting. Right. So, uh, I mean, I've heard conversations where and, and I know 
OEMs, uh, original equipment manufacturers, are working IIoT into the designs of their you know later model equipment. And I guess the way I envision that working is, you know, they have visibility to line stoppages, downtime data, that kind of information, and uh, they can provide a better quality of service. Maybe provide recommendations even on how to get better uh, performance from the equipment. To me, that's probably level one level of engagement. I'm just curious how OEMs might be using that data to either A, provide a a more effective service or B, design more useful equipment. Curious curious if you've seen any of that out in the field. Yeah. I I mean, in the mining world, um, actually, when I started at tech, I wrote a proposal to get kind of the online data coming in from our mobile equipment. And that was in around, I think that was 2011, 2012. This kind of stuff has been around at least a few years, but what everyone's been talking about is the service models are going to change. So instead of you buying a truck, you're going to buy, you know, units of production from that truck. Wow. And then like Caterpillar or Komatsu, they'll be the ones guaranteeing that production. Interesting. Wow. I never heard that that model before. That's really that's really neat. Yeah, as far as I know, I I haven't seen it out or I haven't heard of it being uh happening yet, but that's what everyone's talking about the, as the future. Yeah, that sounds really cool actually. So it's almost going to more of a modular you know, instead of almost like a subscription model, right? That's kind of it's kind of the idea behind a subscription model where you pay, you know, subscription, you pay by month or by year, whatever the plan is. With that model, you're you're paying by unit. So it's less of a commitment up front, less of a capital commitment up front, but you still have access to the, the technology. Yeah. And, and it's also nice because like in theory, right? Like the OEMs will have to build better and better quality. They would. They're a lot more accountable for the results, right? Because that's their revenue model now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it should be good. It's hard to predict what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So, yeah, we'll have to dive more into machine learning too. So, as you, uh, as you get your hands dirty in that, I'm, I'll be curious to, to stay up to speed on what you're learning. So, Certainly looking forward to some content in that space as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if anyone's listening, what I would recommend is listen to uh, a couple episodes that I did about machine learning. One was with Adam McElhaney from Uptake. The other one is with uh, Rajiv Anand from Cortec.ai. And the third one would be, or actually there was four. So the third one uh, with Arun Santa Benner from Petasense, and the fourth one would be Mark Benick, also from Uptake. So I put out some four podcasts already about AI. So check those out. Very cool, man. Um, so we we clipped the thirty minute mark. So yeah, I want to close out, but I, I definitely want to I want to thank you for coming through, man. You you certainly bring a, a a much needed point of view, especially around the latest and greatest around reliability. And uh, I'm certainly excited to see where you where you take your career next. It sounds like you got a some space to kind of think and process what's the next impact you want to make. Certainly curious to see how things unfold for you. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. And, and absolutely, like I'm always available to come back on, Calvin, because we, 30 minutes, we barely got going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We'll definitely do it again soon. I promise you that. So do you have anything uh, coming up that you want to plug? Any uh, any events, any new releases, any new content coming out that, that the rest of us need to know about? Any sneak previews? Nothing too much on the sneak previews. I will be in Chicago at MaintCon 
uh, April, I believe it's the 15th to the 17th. I'll also be at a one-day asset management summit in Winnipeg, Canada, June 7th. So those are kind of all I have on the books right now. Are you speaking? Do we get to see you on stage? <laughs> yes, sir. I'll be I'll be speaking at both. Um, I believe I'll be paneling also in Winnipeg. So hopefully, really? but either way, I'll be I'll be putting out some videos and content when I'll, while I'm there. So that'll be cool. Very cool. Excellent. All right. So I'll, one last plug for Rob's Reliability Project. If you haven't checked that out, make sure you do. Otherwise, Rob, you got any last words before we close out? Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess what we've talked about this whole time, right? is technology kind of, you know, it's sexy, it's cool, you know, artificial intelligence, the cloud, the data lakes, the edge, all these terms, right? And what I kind of want to just reinforce to people is robots are not driving, like they're not maintaining and driving and operating and doing all of that stuff yet. Hmm. So start with the fundamentals Start with your system, start with the culture, start with the people. And then you can, once you've put all those, those are like the bottom base of your pyramid. Once you have all that stuff, once you have your pyramid built, that's when you can get up to the cool, fun stuff later on. Yeah. And you know, a, a great case study on that is is Tesla. I learned this week that Tesla is actually a 16-year-old company. And they're still going some, through some growing pains that you would expect with a you know four or five year old company. And one of the problems they had is they they tried to over automate early on. So they came in with sort of a uh, Silicon Valley mentality of you know we don't need to know everything about manufacturing. We'll learn as we go. I think that sort of got them in trouble because in manufacturing you kind of need to know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, you need people with real practical experience because manufacturing is if if not practical than nothing else. And you're right. You, you got to be generally in order and, and moving in the right direction. And then technology can help accelerate you in that direction. You can't look to te- technology to change direction for you. Leadership, only leadership can do that, right? For sure. And it's it's back to that, that comment you made on my podcast is, you know, you're going to have to move with, what was it, organizational speed? Yeah, organizational patience. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So it, it's not an overnight thing. You have to take your time and yeah. you got to really work at it every day and just be persistent. Absolutely. Keep going. You know how Nike says, just do it. I think we're going to say, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would look good on a t-shirt. What you think? Would you buy one? It works for me. I'll buy it. <laughs> so Rob, I really appreciate you coming through, man. It's always a pleasure. Looking forward to connecting with you again soon. Let me know when you need a special guest on, on one of your podcasts too. If you want to try a three-way, we can try that too. You know, just have me in the background like the hype man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really, actually, I like that idea. We should do, maybe we can do a improver Rob's reliability project and get somebody else on three-way. That would be cool. That would be interesting. You know, I'll, I'll just be the guy in the background saying yeah to everything. You know, that's, that's what I want to do. <laughs> the little John of the podcast world. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Podcast little John. Oh, man. That would be fun. So, all right, man. Let's uh, let's get on out of here. I really appreciate your time, though. Let's um, let's do it again soon. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. And we, I definitely am, am available to come back on. Absolutely. All right. Otherwise, have a great weekend. We'll talk soon.